0: Well, good morning. My name is BJ. I'm a staff pastor here. And before Todd comes up to preach, I just wanted to read a passage over us all this morning in preparation for what he's going to be reading from Luke. Um, this morning, I'm going to read from Revelation 19. Um, this is verses 6 and 7. It should be on the screen for you. Um, otherwise, you can listen along or flip there. Your choice. Revelation 19.6 says this. Then I heard something like the sound of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. This is god's word
1: good morning church. Good morning, Todd. thanks uh, yeah, my name is Todd Steele. i'm one of the elders here at transform um and i'll be I have the honor of continuing our advent series uh, for this month um, as Yesterday, BJ was a little bit busy officiating a wedding. Mike was a little bit busy being the father of the bride. So so you get me today. Um, and honestly, I feel like I'm robbing Mike a little bit because I get to like, teach on joy today the day after his daughter got married. I don't think that's fair. But I get to talk about joy in light of the arrival of our King Jesus. And not only that, but I did get to sit in on a wedding yesterday. I got to sit in on a picture of the second advent. As BJ wonderfully described yesterday during the wedding, marriages are a signpost that are pointing to Jesus and his, br- and his bride, the church. And everyone that was there yesterday had the honor of getting a glimpse into the future. A glimpse into the wedding feast of the Lamb. Which is preceded by the wedding feast we're going to talk, or not the wedding feast, but just preceded by the celebration we're going to talk about today. The celebration that the heavenly host um, carried out, witnessed by the shepherds in the first announcement of the arrival of our true king. So, with that in mind, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. Our uh, main passage of focus is going to start in verse 8, but I'm a sucker for context and. Uh, we, we need to kind of take a look at the first few verses uh, to understand fully what's going on. So uh, I'm going to start by reading the first seven verses, and then we'll go from there. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Crenerius Qu- was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family line of David to be, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in a cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest rooms available for, her, for them. So, fellow 21st century uh, Americans, uh, who's, who's not heard this story before? <laughs> um, you know, this is the nativity story, the, the story of our birth, the birth of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but there's a few details in the setting that's important, and I don't want to miss it. Specifically, around the census that uh, Caesar put out. Why do you have a census? so you can know how many people are in your empire. At the time of Jesus' birth, Caesar Augustus had just finished establishing his foothold on the Roman Empire as a dictator. He was the first true emperor of Rome after he dissolved um, the remains of the republic, and he wanted two things. He wanted two things. First, he wanted a firm grasp on his empire. He wanted the people, and he wanted the people to know he had a grasp on them. So he issues a census, so everyone can be counted. And as Herod, the governor and wannabe king of, of this region, oversees this part of the census in Judea. Um, and as was custom in ancient in the ancient ear excuse me, my words are going all over the place today. As custom in the ancient Near East, if you're going to take account of your people, you do so across tribal lines. So he has everybody go back to the towns of their family. So someone from the line of David, for Joseph, that means Bethlehem. This is a dark time in history. Everyone in the world not named Caesar has been defeated. The Romans hold an unprecedented amount of power. They want everyone to know it. A more accurate way to think about the census is that in the eyes of Caesar, this is less of a census and more of an inventory of product. How much human capital do I have? How much can I tax them? How much labor can I put them through? How many servants can be brought to me? This is the thinking of the so-called emperor of the world. And on top of that, let's consider Mary and Joseph's situation. Pregnant, but not married, with the scandal that follows that. Having to stay in some kind of barn, and you know that's where your baby's going to be born. Um, our, our movies oftentimes will dramatize that situation, like they're just getting into Bethlehem, and she goes into labor, and there's no room uh, anywhere else. The way the grammar is worded, it, they had been in Bethlehem a little bit. They had been staying in, in some kind of barn or cave or basically room made for animals for a while, sleeping with those animals. So on that, I'd like to point out a speculation This is something I could be wrong about, but I don't think I am. Remember, they're in Bethlehem because Joseph is related to David. The logic would then follow that other people that are related to David are there, and therefore other people that are related to Joseph. People from Nazareth, where he's from, family members, cousins, distant cousins, aunts, uncles, that sort of thing. Now, if my extended family was all together in one place for a period of time, And one of the women in my family was pregnant. And there was no room where we were all staying. And either the pregnant woman could sleep in the garage or one of the young guys could sleep in the garage. If the young guy didn't automatically volunteer to go sleep in the garage, he'd get hit. Right? No one's going to tell the pregnant lady, well, he was here first. Um, No, it would be expected. And especially... Like, that's our standard today. Think of it in an honor-shame culture of of back then. Like, that would just be the standard. So why is there no room at the end? Maybe because no room was made at the end. Maybe, and again, I could be wrong. It is a speculation. Scriptures doesn't tell us uh, exactly. But maybe people knew the scandal surrounding them, and... Didn't want to be a part of, didn't want to be in relationship with them. This is a couple that is being ostracized by a community that is being oppressed with an iron fist in the latest in a long line of oppressors. But the night is darkest just before the dawn. Dark night. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Couldn't resist. So, if you're going, gee, great, great message on joy, Todd. Let's, let's keep talking about how the Roman Empire just steps on people. Um, we're getting to it right now. So, uh, at this point, I'm, I'm going to go into our main passage and, and start in verse 8. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angels said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to all who he favors. Can we just acknowledge how much of an odd scene this is? You know, like I joked before, this is something we've all grown up with. We're a little bit desensitized to it. This, we all know this story very well. But I defy you to find another story like this in history at all. Anything that's similar to this? Is derivative of this. The God of the universe comes to earth. How? He's born in a barn. From social outcasts that are part of an oppressed nation. A nation that started out as slaves, and then when God freed them from slavery, they still didn't listen. I could go on about how the narrative of Scripture are in direct defiance to every other narrative, religion, or worldview that came before it. Because this, this is roughly the history of everyone else. In almost every other historical and cultural context pre-Christianity, you will find this coming story in some shape or form. And that is this, is we are descended from the gods, you surrounding nations uh, are not, therefore we have a divine right to conquer your land and enslave your people. That's world religion in a nutshell. If you're taking a world religion class in college, congratulations, you got your credit. That's the whole thing. That's what Rome is doing here, asserting their dominance over the world by claiming divine right. But the story of Scripture tells us different. The story of Scripture says that God used the lowliest of people to accomplish his will. He came to earth in the darkest moment. He served them. He taught them. He loved them. He loved them so much that he gave his life for them. And he was raised back to life. And now anyone who pledges their allegiance to him as king are able to join his kingdom for truth and love and mercy are the rule of law. Compare those two narratives and don't tell me we don't sound crazy but it's true. Our narrative is the one that wins. Praise God. We see this narrative continued as these shepherds are met by an angel. What's the angel there for? He brings good news of great joy that will be for all people. This, this statement has great significance, especially in the term good news. The Greek word is euangelietzo, I had to put the pronunciation in, I'm not that good. (laughs) Um, Which is just the verb form of the word euangelion. Which is the word that, um, that's what we translate into words like evangelism, uh, evangelical. But that's also the word that then was translated into good, good spell was the original pronunciation in English. And that got shortened to gospel. So the good news is the gospel. This angel is here, the first one preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. To preach the good news that God has come to rule on earth. That the king is born. In fact, that word, good news, uh, evangelion, was usually associated with the birth of the emperor. The emperor's personal cult, that liked to worship him as a god, would go around on his birthday proclaiming the evangelion. So for this angel to come say, I come bearing the Evangelion, he's saying, the true king has been born. The real king of the emperor is, the real emperor of everything is here. And he was born in the city of David. You'll find him in a manger wrapped up. a, A manger is a feeding trough. The lowliest of places. Um, by trade for my day job, I'm an appliance repair man. Um, so that means I go to different homes, I fix the kitchen appliances, I fix the laundry appliances, uh, and, and, and whatever else they happen to have me doing. Um, it's not super glamorous. I go into some odd and gross places. Uh, but it's good work. It's rewarding. I get to help people. It pays my bills. I, I can't really ask for much more. My father uh, works for a contractor for the government. Uh, he provides training equipment, um, and he installs them for the military and law enforcement, which is just a fancy way of saying he goes out in the middle of nowhere and digs a hole to put a target for them to shoot at. <laughs> um, that's what he did growing up. Um, usually in Texas in August and Minnesota in January is how it worked. How it work. Um, This is kind of following the rest of the pattern of the rest of my family. Everyone who wasn't in the armed forces uh, found themselves in some kind of job or trade that required just a high school diploma or even less. And even after the armed forces, the ones that joined the armed forces, that's where they end up as well. Truck drivers, machinists, construction workers, ditch diggers, bricklayers. That's my family. So you might be forgiven for thinking that when I was a baby, all my onesies had blue collars on them. I'm not knocking that. I'm proud of that. I'm proud to come from a family of people who were never afraid to get their hands dirty. That's that's one of the things I appreciate about living in our culture like we do in the United States. As in general, not everywhere, we have an appreciation for the working class. Uh, It's a country of people who aren't afraid of a hard day's work. We had a show on TV for years, if you remember, it's called Dirty Jobs. This guy would go around and just work with people who did weird like, and gross blue-collar level jobs that other people didn't want to do. And we celebrated that. We celebrated hard work. I know most of us that are in this room are currently living as, as working class in some kind of blue-collar trade. And many of us who aren't spent many years working that way. I mean, appliance guy. Mike's finished carpenter. BJ was a mailman. Robs a cop. Like your <laughs> <laughs> your church is being ran by grunts. Everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and that's something to be proud of. I feel. But that sentiment is a historical anomaly. And by the way, if you're if you're white collar or business, I don't. I. I don't mean to offend. I appreciate you as well. Um, I'm not saying you're not good too. Um, But for most of history, this appreciation of the working class was a historical anomaly. And and this appreciation starts here with the shepherds. For most of history, there was the important and the unimportant. The important consisted politicians, governors, generals, decision-makers, property owners, but the working man, he existed to keep the important people rich. Whether slave or free, all were servants of Caesar, and no trade in the ancient world exemplified that more than shepherding. Shepherds were seen as low-class and dirty, sometimes dishonest, The type of people you would be happy to have living on the outskirts of your town for the majority of the time. But those are the first people that the gospel is preached to. Those are the first people to get a messenger with fanfare that the king is born. The shepherds, the lonely, the lowly, the dirty, blue collars, people like you and me. We celebrate Because the good news is for us. The king has arrived. And it marks the peace and restoration of all things. And the first to know about it were the smallest of us. That means that this news is not just for the rich or the famous or the politicians or the decision makers. It's for everyone. You realize the significance of this. Nothing else in the world makes these sorts of promises and actually keeps them and actually follows through on them. And nothing else makes these sorts of promises to, um, to the little guy first unless it's a scam. But regardless of who you are, regardless of your social status, regardless of your race, your gender, regardless of what you've done or what you will do, the king of the universe has been born. He wants everyone to know about it not to lord it over us, even though he's perfectly within his rights to. The king of the world has been born and our purpose in knowing it, of announcing it, is so that we may glorify him and enjoy him. Because of this good news, we can celebrate in the darkest of times. We can have joy in the darkest of times. Um, at our previous church, there, there was a family there that we were pretty close with, both relationally and we were actually neighbors for about a year. Um, one of their children had some pretty severe health issues. And as the child grew older, the medicine she was on didn't seem like it was going to work the same way anymore. And I remember talking to them about it and them being worried. What were they gonna do? What were the steps they needed to take? Um, if they could even afford the new treatment. And I remember very distinctly the mom saying, well, we're just thankful for the time God gave us when it was working. <laughs> I just remember thinking, are you crazy? Your child is sick. What do you have to be thankful for? Y- You're... Your, daughter has suffered her whole life you have suffered because of it your husband suffered because of it your other children have suffered because of it and you're thankful for jesus what do you have to be thankful for and we had actually we had had our oldest at the time he was still a newborn and the thing that always happens with new parents is that can be pretty scary is when baby gets sick for the first time um it happens to everybody and you know we were calling both our moms, we were calling the nurse, and it was, it was just a cold, you know. But, and he got over it. But I remember being angry at God that he would let this happen to my son. That he would let my baby catch a cold. How dare he? And then there is this woman who was standing in front of me who had suffered more than I could even fathom at that point in my life who was always chipper. She was always annoyingly positive (laughs) at times. I'm trying to stay anonymous, but people in this room know who I'm talking about. And that was because of the Holy Spirit that she was like this, that she could live through suffering and walk out of it thankful to Jesus and His grace. That's joy that can only be experienced through the Holy Spirit. That's joy that sees the gospel in everything and saw Jesus wherever she went. She understood Philippians 4 in its proper context. Um, Philippians 4 verse 10 says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all my circumstances, I have learned the secret to being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. People, we, we like to use verse 13 there very liberally. Um, we like to ignore the previous verses and just go with the I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me and not as much of a huge fan as I know how to make do with a little sometimes we just take that last verse there and take it as well this is what the Lord well this is what I want to do and the Lord is going to strengthen and equip me to get what I want but the true meaning is much more beautiful than that What it actually means is it doesn't matter what the world throws at us. No matter how low we're brought, no matter how much pain we endure, Jesus is there to comfort us. We can find joy in the worst of situations because our God is good, because he came to this earth as humbly as you possibly could to redeem us all. Every day is a wedding day. Every day is a celebration, not out of blind optimism because a a, a refusal to acknowledge facts can also be dangerous. But every day from now until eternity, we can be in awe of what Messiah Jesus has done for his bride. We can rest in him. We can celebrate with great joy as the martyrs of old did, who were not just of old, even today, who are being maimed and tortured for believing in Jesus. And they still called upon His name. And they knew that they would see Him in the resurrection. Worship team, you can come up. My prayer is that when pain comes, we would be reminded of the coming of our King. That we would be vigilant in reminding others that our King is here. Especially over the course of the next couple weeks. Um, This, as we saw in prayer, this is a very painful time of year for people. This Christmas season, it reopens wounds. So if that's you, reach out. Reach out to your brothers and sisters. Let us walk with you. Let us pray over you. Let us bless you. And for those of us who aren't, And suffering, let us take the time to find the people who are, to find our brothers and sisters, to minister to them, to help them see the joy that Jesus brings. Let us not be weary in doing good. Don't wait for an invitation to comfort your brothers and sisters. Reach out and let us carry each other's burdens. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that your kingdom has come. I thank you your will will be done. I thank you that no one has endured such a lowly state as you have. And therefore, you are the example. You showed us what it meant to to love, Lord. You showed us what joy was, what joy is. I pray that we would experience that, that we would know that, and that those around us, through your Holy Spirit, would see that joy. Not for anything we're doing, Father, but for what you have done for us. pray these things in your name. Amen.